Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome in to Season 3 of Two-Man Game on ClavesOnline.com. I'm Matthew Rocchio. That is voice of the St. Louis Billikens, Bob Ramsey. Rammer, thank you for joining me again for another season of Two-Man Game. College basketball is back. NBA has been back in the swing of things, and we're ready to talk some basketball. Well, of course, the biggest thing that everybody is waiting uh, with bated breath on the edge of their seats, of course, the in-season NBA tournament, and we'll be reporting on that, I'm sure, every day, maybe a couple times a day. Quick question. Do you understand what's going on with the NBA in-season tournament? Like, where's your, what's your level of understanding about how it's working? I, I think I have a basic idea. They're trying to copy European soccer. Oh, yeah, that's that's essentially it. But they're doing a very poor job of it. Because, first of all, it's they're calling it the in-season tournament. At first, they were talking about, like, the mid-season tournament. And yet they started it two weeks into the season, and it's going to end in December. So I, And then, like, it's also – they just seem like regular regular season games. Yeah. They're just going to have a, a different title on them, which is not how the European soccer teams really do the club competition or the cup yeah. competitions. It's different. So they're I get what they're doing, but they're doing it very poorly. And they're also fair. And they're also making it very hard to watch unless you have recently gotten LASIK surgery or just have no problem essentially having your eyes burned out of the retinas or out of the out of the, the sockets because dear sweet God, what are they doing with the courts? I feel sorry for the people who have to make them, and I feel sorry for us for having to watch them because some of them are legitimately like hard on the eyes to watch right now. Yeah, I agree with that, and I don't think I get that. Somewhere, somebody thought that it was a marketing thing that will it make more people watch or do they think that people will think it's cool so they'll stay locked in? I, you know, there there is a, there is a value in aesthetic. Yeah. You know, um, just look at the car industry. Yeah, I think the Lakers have proven but that. Do you, but do you need, but does the NBA need it? I don't know. Do you want to go back to the completely just, plain wood floor with uh, uh, no real paint and just the black stripes? Well, probably not. So there's a there's a level of aesthetic that can go, but have we jumped the shark on it? I've always felt that every NBA court should just be parquet. Like, I just it, – it looks – there's something about it. The, the parquet flooring in TD Garden always just – it looks right. Well, see, the Celtics started the whole thing way back. Yes, they did. They did it right. Well, uh, we're, we're going to shift and talk a lot of college basketball, obviously, because college basketball officially tipped off yesterday, tipped off early in the afternoon with a lot of games of, of schools that some of you have may have never even heard of. I um, was aware of the name Stanislaus because I was raised in a Catholic household. I had no idea it was a college. Uh, that, that was that was a nice little thing I saw. But that, that was Is interesting that, development. Uh, I'm aware of them. Are they out of Minnesota? Uh, I'm going to double check for you. Uh, Stanislaus College is a public university in Turlock, California. Oh, California. Well, I, I couldn't have been more than 2,000 miles off. Okay, I'm 0 for 1 on the trivia. But in the in the local squads, obviously, Illinois got a, a, a win over Il, uh, Eastern Illinois. Terrence Shannon Jr. with a great game there. Yep. Mizzou, Mizzou put 100 up on Arkansas Pine Bluff. And then yesterday we were at Chaffetz Arena as – the Billikens in their first game of the season were able to take down Southern Indiana 75 to 63. Overall, just your basic first impressions of that game for the St. Louis Billikens. You know, I thought uh, overall, uh, when things were going well, they were really good, really good. And then when things weren't going so great, it was like, 
Okay, there, there's, there's something exposed that will need to be dealt with as we move forward. And I think the things that aren't great, it'll probably take some time to evolve to try and to if, if they're going to be corrected. And then I think there are some things that were real negatives that will absolutely be taken care of, and that's missed layups and free throws. Yeah, I think that, that that's the big thing that jumps out. You know, for the problem I think we all expected going in was going to be, you know, rebounding and things like that. I, that obviously wasn't a big problem for them, mainly because uh, TJ Hargrove was was flying in a way we've never seen him fly. And the, the guy the guy gets up, you know, before last night. But last night was incredible. He obviously set a career high in rebounds. He set a career high against a D1 school with 27 points. So, I mean, the things that you thought were going to be, I think, the big issues – didn't really jump out as, as the big problems off the bat. So what, what were the things that, that jumped out to you as the big issues that maybe aren't as fixable right off the bat? Well, um, I'm going to talk about the good part and then flip it. And that is one of the great things about TJ, what he did, um, he was so effective that he forced Southern Indiana to take their bigs out. They felt like they had to play small to match up. And then by the middle of the second half, it started to work. Yeah. It started to work. So that's one thing to look at. Okay. How do we not let that happen? There were, I think there were other factors involved in that. I think um, fatigue, if you're going to play this fast, this hard, Travis talked about it on the post game show. I don't know if he talked to the rest of the media about it, but you can't get tired. Yeah. Not if you're going to play this way, being tired can't happen. You can't succeed if you get tired. So that is something that will absolutely have to be addressed. Yeah, that was a big thing that he did talk about with the media was he was happy with 30 minutes, you know, and, and he kind of yeah. kept coming back. And, you know, we asked him pretty much about every aspect of the game. And really the only thing that he didn't come back to saying, you know, there was this big dichotomy where we played hard for 30 and really bad for 10. And really only shooting was the only thing that he didn't kind of bring that into. Every other aspect of the game, he was talking about 30-10. I did see some interesting comments about his 30-10 comments, which is just, why do you think St. Louis, and is it just fans being too close that it feels like St. Louis has had an issue with the last 10 minutes of games for a couple seasons? Is that is that is that something where every fan base thinks that, and it's just you're way oh too gosh. close to the situation? That's really outside my area. Sure. If that was a uh, – if that was going to be – a really specific criticism, which, by the way, I think specific criticisms are the best way to do it instead of they can't win the big one. Well, what what is what does that mean? Or just well, they, or, or they lose they lose they lose the big games late. I think I think would be the more specific would, pointed criticism. I'd want to see a, a I'd want to do a little research and then um, uh, get some comparisons. You know. Whatever we determine is a, a lead late that's lost. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's be specific about it and then see how many leads late did you preserve? Yeah. How many deficits late did you overcome? Get all those numbers and then start comparing it to um, like-minded programs. Yeah. I'm not saying similar, uh, exactly the same, 21 win seasons that don't make the dance, no, but – you know, the rest of the Atlantic 10, the Big East, you know, non-football schools, then let's get some real relativity. Anytime you lose, it sucks. And it seems, and, and for media, I promise you fans,
for you and coaches, we all feel the same way. The losses stick with us way more than the wins do. So let's don't let that subjectivity, that point of view, uh, taint true analysis. There you go. I, I, I like that. Let's jump back into some true analysis uh, like again uh, with this game against Southern Indiana. Again, Terrence Hargrove was incredible. You know, scoring was, was stepping out, hitting threes, was rebounding the ball well. I think, obviously, this conversation is hard to have as long as there are still waivers up in the air. And obviously, there was an expected development on Sunday night into Monday with Bruce Zhang, where he is he's now dealing with some eligibility issues despite finally getting healthy on the court. Um, SVB was cleared. He, he played a few minutes. Travis acknowledged he probably could, could have played him two minutes or so in the in the second half once SLU had a little bit more of a lead. And he but, said he regretted not put him, putting yeah, him in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, there, there's a little bit of potential there. But let's say right now what we know, which is that you have Terrence Hargrove, you get a little bit of Tim Dogger, and you get a and, and you get SVB. What are your expectations, or how, how are you feeling going into a season where that's the the, the big rotation essentially? It's a it, challenge. It, it, it's a challenge because I would love having a couple of true bigs with TJ playing most of the minutes at the four. Then I think you've got a real you, you've got some high low action you can run, and what we saw the other night, which creates a matchup nightmare, whether TJ's a four or a five, and that's the pick and pop shot, and 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 those that changes things. Um, but more to the to the five spot, you need Jung to come back. Um, but until he does, until he gets the waiver, until it's there, it's not. Yeah, exactly. So we have to say he's not on the team for yep. now. And so Van Bessel, you have to – will he play five minutes on Wednesday? Okay. We've got to see see progress, and a lot of it will have to do with health. Um, he had major surgery on that leg, and he's just not back to who he was athletically. Yeah, Travis said 60% skill in athletics. Like yeah. he's, a, he's cleared to play 100% medically – but he's 60% athleticism and 60% skill because of that injury. His hops aren't there. His fast twitch from his legs is not there. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he, and, and listen, for, for in the short uh, span, he actually played great. He actually had one of the best, better runs on the team. Yeah. Um, Meadows, Parker, Larry Gibson, and SVB were out there early in the first and they actually had a run where they um, outscored uh, Southern Indiana by plus five in, in, in a short period of time, which was, one of the better lineup runs of, of a five-man unit out there yesterday. So, I mean, he actually – he looked good. But, again, he's not there 100%. So, the minutes are a big question mark. So, I mean, if until the waiver changes and or until a lot of time elapses and he gets more right. healthy, it's going to be 25 minutes of TJ at, at the five, despite the fact that Travis told us on Sunday before everything happened with Bruce – that dogger at the five was was a need-based thing that they weren't going to go back to. Clearly now they need him again, so you're going to continue to see him at the five. That's something, again, he's not 100% used to, but that's part of it. I think a lot of the questions around St. Louis right now are just how comfortable is the entire roster playing with each other and playing at, at all these different positions. And Travis talked about that last night. Brad uh, Gibson Jimerson talked about that last night when talking about the shooting, and, and they both acknowledged – we were forcing some doubles, but we were we didn't take advantage of almost any of those doubles. And, and some of our passing might have been slow. We might have missed some open guys. And part of that is the new teammates. Part of that's the fact that 
you know, some of these guys are playing the two through the four or or the one through the four, and, and, and they're switching throughout the entire game. So there's still a level of comfortability, I think, that we're not going to see probably for the next month or two. And that's even if the roster doesn't change. And, and as we know, the roster very much could change between now and December. Yeah, individually, the talent's there. It's still got to mesh a little bit. I think you saw that in, in only blinks of an eye. But that's enough to throw timing off, and that is hesitation on the next pass, yeah. hesitation on the on the, getting to the screen. And, and, again, if you just casually watched, you might not have even noticed it. But I still think there's that tiny bits of time gap that throw all the timing – can throw the timing off. And speaking of those individual performances, there's two I wanted to highlight that weren't as positive, but I but I think there's a lot we can take away from them. And that was the individual games of Sincere Parker and Gibson Jimerson last night. Again, not not a game shooting wise that either one of them uh, are going to want. Obviously, I, I do want to throw out that Gibson Jimerson had five assists uh, leading the team, which was really good. But overall, Sincere Parker goes three of twelve from the field, including over two from deep, and Gibson Jimerson goes three of ten from the field, including one of five from deep. I think the reason why these score lines jump out to me is because you're going to be playing four guards. You're going to be playing faster. You're going to have to score a lot this year, more so than being a defensive and a rebounding team. And to score a lot this year, you need two of your best scorers to be part of that. So anything you saw from Sincere Gibson that kind of maybe takes away or explains why they were slower against a team that you'd like to see them produce against? No. In fact, I talked to Gibson after the game and he uh, had joked self-deprecatingly about, yeah, I did all the things uh, uh, except what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and, like and, uh, and so he understands. I thought, let me, let me ask you this. I thought he passed up some shots, three-point shots. Yeah, he definitely did. And so um, is that a confidence thing? I don't think so. Maybe it's a guy just trying to be a good teammate early. He he and and I think this is fascinating. The Southern Indiana head coach told him after the game, and this is what he related this us last night, that hey man, like you're gonna be dangerous. Teams teams are gonna be sending doubles at you, teams are gonna be watching you this season. And I think that's explains part of it. And that's what he was saying. He goes, Teams are gonna be doubling me, teams are gonna be looking to, to throw two at me. So I have to have my eyes open to the open man. And I think maybe knowing now that you know, you don't have a guy like Yuri and, you know, the, the, the passing is going to have to be a collective thing and the playmaking is going to have to be a collective thing. And he personally is going to have to get better. And I'm going to actually put together and throw up um, my favorite highlight from Gibson last night, which was when he came around, uh, came off an off ball screen, caught it on the curl. The guy who set the off ball screen then rolls like it's a kind of an extended pick and roll and he hits him with a perfect pocket pass. That's the kind of play you want to see from Gibson in the playmaking. And I do think the playmaking aspect is a big reason he was maybe passing up some of those looks. Well, and Travis used the phrase to know when to pass up a good shot to get a great shot. Yeah. But I would tell you most of the time, not 100%, but most of the time, Gibson getting a look at, at a three, even under duress, is a better shot than any other shot you can find on the floor. That's the flip side of of drawing a lot of attention yeah. because you're the team's best player. You're the team's best player. You're probably like you said, if you know, it's probably a thirty percent shot for you, but anything else in the in this sequence is probably going to be a twenty five percent chance from somebody else. Take the better shot because you are the best player. You have to have it's 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 a weird kind of you know catch twenty two. 
but that's why it's it's two sides of the exact same coin. You're the most dangerous one, so you have to know when to press and you have to know when to take your shot and when to pass it off. Some of it's attitudinally, yeah. attitudinal, and that is, oh, okay, take what the defense gives you. We all get that. Good shot for great shot. We all get that. But also the dagger shooters, the, the back-breaking shooters are, I'm not going to let you tell me what I can take. I'm taking what I want, and you can't stop me. That's where we got to get to. I don't know if you agree with that. No, the I, great I shooters have that mentality, don't they? I absolutely agree with it. I think I, think I might have said something last year to the same thing, which is like if you could combine – certain aspects of sincere and Gibson would be the perfect basketball player. Because I think sincere has that like, Oh, you're, you're going to give me any kind of space to shoot this ball. I'm going to make you pay. And we didn't see that last night with the mentalities there. We didn't see it, you know, come out necessarily, but I really do think that if you, if you take some of that mentality and give it to Gibson, this, it would, it would be a better team. Now here's the other thing as we're picking at negatives, which is what we do because the positives are kind of expected. Although you didn't, you didn't figure uh, T.J. Hargrove to open up his Clark Kent suit and have and, and have the big S on his chest, but um, I, I believe in the saying that hit your layups and free throws and you'll win almost all your games. Not all of them, but you'll win most of your games. And had the Billikens just did a little bit better, hitting the low end of uh, shooting percentage expectations. They would have scored at least a dozen more points, and the conversation is probably completely different that we're having today. Yeah, the 24-point max lead probably balloons to like 32, and it's a very different game. Um, one thing that we, I, I, I already brought up from Travis a little bit was was the shooting numbers. He, he, he was not happy at all, and I think Hell. fans were happy to see him not happy because he, he talked a lot about 33s. Per game, and I think if you're playing small, and, 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 and right now you are, it's got to be upwards of 30. It was only 21. For me, what jumped out is that their five of their first 11 field goals attempts were three-point shots, and then 15 of their next 66 were three-point shots. So, I mean, the, the the rate completely tapered off. And, again, part of that is the playmaking aspect. Part of that is the familiarity, familiarity aspect we already talked about. But I really do think part of it is that this is a team that's playing a different style diametrically than two years ago, a little bit than last year. And some of these players who, again, bought into it because that that's a great coaching staff are maybe working themselves out of maybe a slower team to try to get a team that needs to push towards 80 possessions and 33s because those are the numbers they have to hit. And I haven't gone through and counted the possessions yet, but I think it was, I think it was again in the low 70s. So here is your uh, – here's the philosophical point that um, addresses what you're talking about is, and we both agree, 33s, and keep in mind, you got to hit between 7 and 10 of the, uh, um, not 7 and 10, you need to shoot between 14 and 17, something like that. You've got to get into the 40s yeah. for this style. That's This doesn't apply to every team in every situation, but for this style. So you mentioned, what did you say, 5 of 11, 6 of 11, whatever it was? Five, 5 of their first 11. 5 of their first 11. I think what happens is players, well, it's not the same player, but as you as the game moves on and you miss three or four threes in a row, and this happened in the second half, you think, oh, gosh, 
we better stop and try and get inside. Well, which is your identity? Yep. Is it, we're just going to shoot them while we're making them? Well, that's pretty good. But then what do you do when you're not making them? Well, here's what happens. You lose a 24-point lead. So, yep. um, and, and I've never heard Travis tell somebody not to shoot. So the killer instinct, getting open looks, it's got to be more consistent, I think, with this style. Now, if you end up getting two or even all three of your bigs back, maybe you'll maybe that style will evolve a little bit, maybe when conference season comes around and you say, well, we don't necessarily need 30 attempts. We need to hit a high percentage, even if it's as low as 15 attempts, so long as we're making that percentage. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it, it it completely changes if if the roster changes. But right now, uh, it, it needs to be higher. And and again, Travis did acknowledge we were able to get pretty much at will to the to the paint, and their center wasn't really worrying them once they got to the paint. So they really weren't worrying about having to focus on a driving kick and being scared away from anything like that. So I think all of those things factor in. But again, when you when it's when you also have to factor in early in these games, I think that's why college basketball is so awesome, but also so tricky is that. You have to factor in with these games that, like, there's some things against certain teams that you're like, oh, that's a positive. And then there's some things against uh, certain teams where it's like, that's not good enough against that team. Flat, like, flat out, that's just the fact of the matter. And that's why I don't want to, I don't want to harp on it. But that's why the numbers with Gibson and Sincere jump out because, again, these guys have to have, they, they have to be the guys that when conference play rolls around can put up 17 against Dayton, or else you're not going to beat Dayton. Like, I, I just don't, I, like, unless a lot of things change. That's just how the complexion of this team is built. And so when you see, uh, you know, three of 12 and three of 10 against Southern Indiana, I think there's a reason why people jump out and want to say, okay, what's going on there? And I think right. there's, a, I think it's completely reasonable to wonder why there was a slow start, especially because while Gibson was, was, was passing the ball a lot, not being as decisive in, in, in the scrimmages and in the exhibition games, Sincere Parker was eating. And every time we saw him, he was scoring buckets. And it, was, it wasn't falling for him. He was getting to the rim, but it wasn't falling for him. And like you said, I think a lot of what we see changes if, again, three or four more shots fall from deep, a couple more layups fall. I think we're talking about this game a little bit differently. Well, and I would tell people who either saw the game and or are looking at the box score and their hair is suddenly on fire, I would say if you believe that what you saw is going to move forward um, – then you're right. It's not sustainable if you're going to be a good team. If your presumptive two best scorers aren't scoring, you're right. You won't win games against good opponents. Absolutely right. But then I would look you in the eye and say, do you believe Jimerson and Parker aren't going to score? Okay. If you do, then, then you're, you know, you're probably not going to have a fun winter. But if you think, no, that's going to change. These guys know what they're doing and they're going to lead the way. And, that sort of thing. Now, what's the number that is good or bad? You know, can they, can they, between the two of them, average 35 a night? That, that That's a great number. Can they do it? You know, I, I don't know. It'll take some other people to balance it out so that they get their attempts. So um, I think those are the kind of thing. We got one game. Let's, let's give it. Let's get through the tournament in Myrtle Beach uh, next week to start to see if we can see trends developing. One last thing from this game, from this opening game, because when you and I talked at Slew practice on Sunday, 
I, I passed along that Travis had mentioned they really liked the defense that could be brought from a backcourt of combining uh, CN Medley and Mike Meadows. I was um, skeptical. You, yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, I don't know how you want to phrase exactly your response, but not the biggest fan of the idea out of the gate, but we saw it a lot. Um, you know, they, they played a lot of different lineups last night. Um, about a third, maybe maybe 40% of the ones we saw good time from was a combination backcourt of CN Medley and Mike Meadows. What were your impressions of it, you know, especially based on your expectations? Um, I would tell you I'm still not thrilled with it. I asked Travis in the postgame radio show, and he said um, that they that the, the uh, perimeter defense, when they're both out there, has a look that the staff really likes. Mm-hmm. Um, my fear is that, um, okay, if you're trying to hold on to a lead, I'd want to be careful that it's not falling into a football term of prevent defense, uh, because we know that that can be a problem. I don't know about how that affects your scoring um, with those two playing together. So um, as long as you'll say, as long as you tell me it's okay to be a reasonable skeptic, I want to see how it goes. Um, You know, especially if you've got a big to protect the back, and you can play TJ at the four, and maybe you've got a, a, a Thames and a Hughes out there with their reach and a point guard. In theory, man, I kind of like that defensive look. On the other hand, I'm not there every day. And um, even with all the practices I have seen, I would, I would have to be honest and say it's not enough of a sample size to be able to say for sure that I don't agree with the coach. They know way more than I do. So if that's what they want, then let's see how it goes. But I remain a little bit skeptical. Can you flesh out that analogy really quickly for me, uh, uh, comparing it okay, to a prevent here we defense? Go. We've got a lead, okay? Okay. And we're going to put our, our our all of our defensive. We're going to go nickel. We're going to go dime. We're going to put it. We're not letting anybody. We're you're not getting one over our head. We're not going to get any forty yard gains. Blah blah blah. And then. I'm doing that to you, and then you come down and pick me apart and go down and score the winning field goal. What I'm saying is my fear. I'm not saying it's going to happen or predicting it. My fear would be, okay, you've got an eight-point lead. It's under, you know, it's four minutes. We're going to get out here and pressure the ball and lock them down. And you do pretty well. They get a bucket. You come down that you don't score. They come back down. Maybe they get a couple of free throws, and the game gets tighter, tighter, and tighter. Can your offense do its part in holding on to your, your margin and holding on to your lead? That, that, that's what I was trying to say, maybe not very effectively. No, I know. I, 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 I liked it. I was like, I think I knew what you're going for um, with, with the offense and, um, kind of potentially being held back. And, and so, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I want to see more of it again. Obviously it was, it was Cian's first college game. You know, I thought he looked pretty fluid and pretty comfortable um, you know, for being a freshman, getting his first ever college three-point like shot. I honestly, you know, I usually go to practice once a week and been doing that for certainly since school started and a few times in the summer. Um, and I really love him. I love the kid. Loved him in high school, looking at all his video, social media. Great, great kid. Unbelievable skill. Lightning quick. Yep. But I think his shot still has to come along. Mm-hmm. But if you just watched last night, and you saw him hit that three. His form was perfect. 
The timing was right. He was in rhythm with a little between the legs and step back. It was, if you were, if that's the only time you saw him shoot, you'd go, well, this kid's got to shoot more. And yeah. hopefully that's the real guy. Yeah. And speaking of shooting for him, Mike, I mean, I, I know we tweeted about it. I, I've been tweeting about it and a lot of people have been. There's just, I'm not sure if it, what shot doctor or if, it, if it's just, he's that good. What Who Larry Hughes worked with this summer. But that release is lightning quick. It's perfect. The elbows tucked. I mean, there were there. Were, I mean, he he's getting um, a crazy amount of lift when he actually tries to raise up on, on the on on the jumpers as well. It's yeah, it's incredible what he's doing. I mean, yeah, God, he's good. There you go. There ice, you go. There you go. Ice water, right? And that what that means? God, yeah. Or did yeah, I just I, want to more? No, you're good. You're good. Um, you don't need to do all three. You just got, you just got to do the one. Oh, just one. Um, no. Just one. Oh, I was going for my pulse too. So let me so let me tell you a story. Ask you a question as it relates to that. Yes. So my dad um, could do anything mechanically construct. I saw him build a house, everything, foundation, carpentry, plumbing, electric, roofing. I saw him build a house by himself. My God. I saw him do it. He was by trade a mechanic, could fix anything. As a teenager, my dumbass didn't listen or learn a damn thing. Did you listen to your dad? Uh, no, I know the much, answer. No. Not as much. You know that. No, you know. Me I know, know but I do know one teenager who clearly listens to his dad. He's got to. I mean, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, we're talking about Larry Hughes, the first who had a long NBA career. And it's obvious Larry, the second is the one teenager in America that has listened to his father. Thank you, Larry, the second. Again, I, we talked about it with Larry last year when we had him on the pod. I, just, I can't ima- like I can't imagine being a teenager. I feel like, again, I'm, I probably wouldn't have listened to my dad even so, but just like, well, son. You want to question it, but I, I sat in a room with Michael Jordan. I sat in a room with Allen Iverson. I sat in a room with LeBron, LeBron James. James. Why don't you? Why don't you understand what's happening here? Uh, <laughs> and clearly, Larry Hughes the second, much smarter than I is. I am because even if my dad had said that, I probably still would have ignored ignored him. Larry Hughes the second clearly has not. I mean, he he looks incredibly clean. I, I one thing I, I agree with Travis, and, and that he kind of acknowledges the mistake was he, he he wished he kind of would have gotten Larry a little bit more time in the second half because he, he had a great first half, 12 points, hit three threes, had three steals, and then he struggled a little bit in the in, in early in the second, and we didn't really see him as much. Well, part of that was part of that was he slipped on the floor. By the yeah. way, they got to do something about oh, that did. and be more oh, attentive. Um, at least two Billikens and at least two Screaming Eagles mm-hmm. slipped and fell. Fortunately, it nobody good. got really hurt. I It was right in front of you when Larry – slipped and did the splits and didn't he do the splits so effectively he racked himself up isn't that what so. the injury yeah. was yeah because like when i first saw it the first, you always think the worst right away oh no he pulled a groin because that's something that if you get back actually a, a severely pulled groin quad and sometimes a hammy but a quad for sure stays with you the rest of your life mm-hmm. and so the fact that he just had the cookie jar rattled if that's indeed what that's what it looked like to me yeah. after he walked off that a it shows wow he can do the splits and and two he's fine yeah 
Also, I, I I haven't seen any updates today. I think our does it look like it's just a cramp for TJ? Because I, I haven't yes. seen anything from today. Okay. Well, good. Travis told us probably unofficially, but he's the coach, so it makes it official that he was cramped up. In fact, I was going to call over there today and talk to my friend Jonathan Birch, the terrific trainer, and say, has TJ been on IV since the end of the game <laughs> through today? Yeah, right. With the way he was playing with the, with the game they have coming up tomorrow, they do. Because, again, St. Louis does have a game coming up tomorrow. By the way, the game time has been shifted a little bit earlier. It is a 7 p.m. game. They're going to face off against Lincoln, who will you know come down the road just a little bit. Um, obviously, Jimmy Drew, who played a little bit uh, in Missouri when he was uh, when he was in college, uh, is, is now the head coach at Lincoln. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting matchup for the Billikens on Wednesday. Speaking of other matchups around uh, their conference, I should say, McNeese beats up on VCU last that. night, 76 to 65. There were some other big scares. Obviously, the big one in all of college basketball has to be JMU beating up on Michigan State. Obviously, a huge win there. But uh, how about the how about VCU getting bitten on the first day by McNeese? That's kind of wild. Is it? I can't get. I never can remember the quote exactly. I should look it up before I butcher it. John Rothstein, who I think covers the game, I think he covers it better than anybody. I really do. I think he's the number one guy. Not only is he informative, but he's also very funny. Mm -hmm. And um, but he says, "What's he say that the season hasn't begun till uh, somebody loses a bye game, yep. something like that?" Yeah. There were a couple of them last night, mm -hmm. and the VCU game was one of them. I, I it was a lot closer, but I I can't even lie. I was was it Radford? I, I would say was it Radford or somebody was playing um, UNC super close. Yeah, Radford had them within a couple points going into the end of the first half, and I was like, oh god, please let this happen. But hey, jam you over Michigan State. Tom Izzo got gets bitten for the first time ever, but in a, in a non-conference game in the month of November. He was 78-0. I think the number one was non-conference games in the month of November. Absolutely unbelievable for that to happen. But, you know, a lot of college basketball, like I said, slew back in action already on Wednesday. They have another game on Saturday night when they will host Illinois State, and then they will travel to South Carolina for the Myrtle Beach Invitational next week. So we're off and running, Rammer. The St. Louis Billiken season has begun, and we're talking basketball in the two-man game, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, the next time we get together, we'll see how many games have happened. I, I'm really interested in the Illinois State game, who's not necessarily highly regarded in the Missouri Valley Conference, but it will be a step up in competition, and that's going to be – one more thing that Travis told me last night, everybody plays hard. If you don't play the hardest, this won't work. So I we'll keep that. an eye on that. I love that, and, you know, and that, that also makes me think – I, I, we don't talk about him a lot, but um, I was able to go back and watch some chunks of the Mizzou game. Mizzou's going to be interesting to watch this year because they've obviously lost some talent. But to your point, the way that Dennis has them bought into a system and the fact that they yeah. all play that system so hard, I, I think Mizzou's going to shock some people just because they don't know any of the names on the roster that are, that are still there from last year and Sean East and Nick Honor and all these guys. I really do think Mizzou, just because of that system, I really think they're going to be dangerous this year. They're going to be fun. We media types are dopes, and it's the combination of arrogance and ignorance. If I haven't heard of it, it's got to be a negative. And that's what we all do. The I've never met a media guy who does that. It, 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 and that's what we do. Well, I never heard of him, so it's got, it can't be good. Well, that it's not true. It's not true. And Missouri is going to show – I think both Missouri – and so I think Missouri is what 
uh, preseason ninth in the SEC, something like that. Yeah. They're, they're going to shock the hell out of the league. And I think SLU is going to be better than six. So, but um, unlike Missouri, SLU has several big questions out there hanging like big old matzo balls. Those questions are going to have to be answered positively for my prediction to come true. One last thing before we go, my uh, little NBA dropper. We talked a little bit about the yeah. in-season tournament. The one other thing, have you gotten a chance to watch either, because I'm not only going to pigeonhole to the one incredible seven-footer, have you gotten a chance to watch either Victor Wembignana or last year's top pick, Chet, or, or uh, number two overall pick, I should say, Chet Holmgren? Have you gotten to watch either of the seven-footers over in the Western Conference? Well, Yama, I've seen a couple of times, two or three times already. Really remarkable. Um, the team – the teams I'm following this year, my team is Phoenix, yes. and we're not going to get a look till they get um, Beal and Booker back. Yeah. We just have no idea what that team's going to be. I love I love following Denver and Dallas because of the big boys, and Denver's really good. And then Memphis is um, sort of the the sad child that that's become a street urchin. And we talk about Morant and the 20 games he's got to miss. But even when he comes back, Stephen Adams will be gone. And they're more than just Morant away from being good. And I think what we have to watch, Rock, so write this down that we keep kind of a track on it. When will the front office say, Jaws back, we see what we have, let's go get a big because we think if we get a big, we can still do something this year. Or... Will there be a point where they go, no, even another, you know, go trade for a big will hurt us more in the long run than it'll help us in the short run, and we're just going to have to suck it up and tank without tanking. Yeah, and and I think the, the big problem now is that they don't know if they're going to get Brandon Clark back. So, like, they, I mean, they, they could be completely in the hole, yeah. you know, by the end of the, by the, end of the, the Morant suspension. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not – it's – it's completely up in the air. I mean, if there there can be a nine or ten game difference between what happens and if, if if it's on the low end, like you said, they they maybe they're thinking about the other end. Maybe they're they're thinking, you know, we we gotta kind of repivot towards next season. You know, what can we do to to save some money? What can we do to you know sell sell off a, a, a wing that another team needs for a cheap first rounder or what have you? Or, or, or on, like the you said, hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, what if Morant is that great? Yeah, he comes back true. and they start winning. I don't know. I think though Adams is more important than people want to give give him credit for. Yeah, I, yeah. Stephen Adams is incredible, and I, I think he's a great example of of you know the, the seven footers who are good in the league. Obviously, now with with the young guys who are just you know unicorns, it's different. But there you know there's still a, a brand of 6'10", 280 pounders who you don't know it, but these guys can move their feet on the perimeter because they're incredible freaking athletes and they still play a lot because they can move their feet on the perimeter. And and those guys are still a huge factor in the league. You know, it's the league's getting bigger because guys like Wembemiana and Holmgren are abnormally talented and, and people are, you know, aren't weighing down their frame because they know they're going to have guard skills and things like that. But still guys like Steven Adams, they're just, they're still so insanely important to, to the basketball, no matter how much three pointers and things matter, being able to move your feet, uh, you know, defend on the perimeter and block shots. It's never not valuable. Yeah. And one final thing for me, the other team I'll watch, of course, the Celtics because of Tatum. And I think Porzingis makes them um, a, a, the, the, I think they're the best team in the league 
and we'll see if it if it plays out that way. I think he gives them the balance they need. Absolutely. I agree 100%. This has been Two Man Game. We'll be back a little bit to talk uh, about more St. Louis basketball, talk about more NBA as they continue to run through. Like you said, Billikens have a big week coming up. They have Lincoln coming up on Wednesday night, and then Illinois State on Saturday night, all before that big Myrtle Beach Invitational. Rammer, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Of course. Of course, thank you so much. And as we head out here, we'll finish everything with a quick word from our big friends at Royal Banks, Missouri. Royal from Bank. our roots in St. Louis, Royal Banks of Missouri is branching out to continue serving you with our locations in St. Charles, Jerseyville, Granite City, and now in Hannibal, Center, and New London. Royal Banks of Missouri, the community bank in your community. Rammer, I think your voice just sounds so much better on, on that recorded uh, commercial. Sorry. It's... uh electronically enhanced what's the thing the uh what's the thing the kids use the tune whatever what are the uh auto tune auto tune they auto tune me i'm so proud of you for knowing that this has been the two-man game rammer thank you so much for joining me i'll talk to you next time thank you so much st louis have a great day and we'll end it there perfect